Hello and welcome to the Security DNA Podcast produced by SecurityInfoWatch.com. I'm John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch and producer of this podcast. The editors here at Security InfoWatch utilize this podcast to provide detailed, actionable information of value to security professionals. This includes industry news, trends and analysis, technology solutions, policy risk analysis, and management. Right now, we're bringing you part two of our interview with Paul Joyle, who has more than 45 years of experience in security and intelligence in international affairs with a special concentration in Russia and the former Soviet republics. In part one of our podcast, we discussed the state of the Russia-Ukraine war and implications over the next 12 months, as well as the attempt on Paul's life by possible Russian agents outside his Maryland home, a crime that's never been solved. For this episode, my colleague Steve Lasky, the editorial director of the security group at Endeavor Business Media, discussed with Paul the cyber aspect of the Russia-Ukraine war, the deployment of artificial intelligence on the battlefield, how deepfakes employing voice and facial misinformation can be weaponized, and how the renewed emergence and political energy that terrorist groups like Hamas has affected our view of domestic security and global risk. Just as a reminder, Paul served 10 years in the U.S. government with the U.S. Capitol Police and the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence from 1979 to 1989. He's incited as an expert source by many news outlets, including Time Magazine and PBS The News Hour with Jim Blair. His published works include the book 15 Years of Espionage and in the 1991 Washington Post editorial Singling Out Arab Americans. Paul has close ties with the government of the Republic of Georgia. In 1998, he acted as the country's first lobbyist to the U.S. government and worked closely with former Georgian President Edward Shevardnadze and his National Security Council and Ministry of Defense during the country's fight for freedom. Later, Paul became the expert advisor to the Georgian International Oil Company, working on the early oil and BTC pipelines in the Security Defense Committee of the Georgian Parliament. In 2005, he spoke at the memorial service for the Honorable Zurab Zania, former Speaker of the Georgian Parliament, held in the United States Senate. Paul was decorated by President Shevardnadze in the Georgian Order of Honor in 2002 for his contributions to Georgia's independence. Paul remains a frequent commentator on intelligence, homeland security, international affairs, and the former Soviet Union. He's made numerous radio and television appearances and written many articles on the topics of Russian and post-Soviet affairs, intelligence, security issues, terrorism, and law enforcement. Now let's turn it over to Steve for what promises to be a great discussion. Uh, So Paul, you know, uh, kind of playing on that theme, we're looking at the cyber aspect of war now too, and you know, we're looking that... uh, uh, looking at the, the characteristics of Russian-led bad actors on uh, on this front, both in Ukraine and the West, uh, how are how are cyber terrorists uh, utilizing and and, and uh, piggybacking on the events that are now transpiring in the Middle East and in Ukraine? Well, let's uh, let, let's go to the Ukraine first, and then we'll work our way to um, the Israeli-Hamas uh, war. Um, <clears throat> as I think I've already stated, there was uh, a uh, an attack, a cyber attack. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the war. So the, the kinetic operations of Russian troops moving into Ukraine was February 22nd or 24th, 24th or 22nd. I can't 
quo, which day. But the interesting thing is, is that the, the massive cyber attack occurred in January, January 13th, for two days, massive attack on, um, on Ukraine. Now, <clears throat> that attack was uh, against uh, critical infrastructure, communications hubs, but it also provided an opportunity for the allies and Ukrainian service, very competent cyber capability that has been built up because they have been subject to attack after attack. And <clears throat> that allowed for certain companies, American companies to help the Ukrainians move vital data to the cloud. And that not just any cloud, but, but Microsoft and uh, uh, Amazon government cloud to protect that data. And uh, that was critical because when the um, attacks occurred in February, they, they didn't have to juggle between managing the cyber attack and the, and the military attack simultaneously. <clears throat> so uh, as I've written before, uh, in uh, Cyber Threats and Information Warfare, published in, 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 Focus, in, in Focus magazine, that um, the use of cyber uh, is now an integral part of the battlefield of the kinetic battlefield. Uh, oftentimes, in the, in the Georgia War of 2008, uh, it was uh, a precursor to war. But in this case, it was also a precursor to war, but almost simultaneous with um, with the um, the military operations. And today, or yesterday in Ukraine, cyber operations were were implemented in the attacks in on the telecom and others that I mentioned. But the most important thing about this attack, uh, it was coordinated with a ballistic missile attack on the country. And the ballistic missile attack is a new uh, level uh, of, of, uh, of force being used. And it shows that Russia now uh, has great confidence uh, with the, uh, what the Republicans did in Congress to go all in with high, uh, a higher level uh, ordinance and, and weapons to destroy the, the backbone and will of the people by using these multi-million dollar weapons uh, against the uh, population centers and critical infrastructure. So we see in, in the case of um, Ukraine, we see cyber operations working hand in, glo in glove with military operations. And this is now uh, why we need to learn from this and make sure that our military units can properly communicate because the Russians saw what we did in the first Gulf War and they were absolutely floored by our net centric capability to bring precision guidance missiles to two targets and for our armored units to be able to operate in a coordinated combined arms fashion. And there's a saying in the military, no comms, no bombs. And if you can take away the ability of a um, of an adversary to communicate both voice and data 
to its troops, then you can decimate them. They cannot ad- adjust to the changes in, in, in maneuver warfare on the battlefield. So cyber is, 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 a, is a weapon that is increasingly being used in a coordinated fashion that we all have to be very concerned about. And we know that the Chinese are very, very good in the cyber attack mode. They've probably stolen just about everything that we <laughs> we have of, of value in this country. And it's just been reported that the Chinese, even in the last week, have been borrowing into our critical infrastructure, not advocating, uh, not uh, activating it, but borrowing in put like these time bombs in in our uh, infrastructure so that they can detonate uh, uh, on command. Now we see also that uh, cyber attacks have increased uh, uh, since uh, the Hamas invasion. As a matter of fact, the Ukrainians have, have communicated to me that they note that Russian cyber attacks diminished by one third between October 6th, 7th, and 8th, which in their view is an indication that Russia was diverting some of its cyber attack capability uh, to support Hamas. And I had um, worked with Ukraine Heroes uh, Films, and we produced the uh, Cyber War 2022 last year, highly acclaimed uh, uh, documentary on on the war, on uh, the Russian cyber attack. And we covered some other issues, including deep fakes and, 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 and other cyber operations. And we're planning to do a new version of this. Um, it's going to be Cyber War 2023, and that will include an analysis of, um, of Hamas and its cyber Uh, operations against Israel and some of the players that are supporting the Hamas effort. Hey, Paul, uh, this this is an interesting dilemma that we're facing right now with AI. Uh, AI on the battlefield is still a relatively new weapon being employed. Can you give us some insights uh, in some detail how deep fakes employing voice and facial misinformation can be weaponized? And what are the implications for this morphing into the mainstream counterintelligence platforms that enemies like Russia, China, and North Korea can turn on into the you know turn on the West? I mean, we're already seeing this ploy churning uh, the political disharmony in the U.S. And as the election move forward this year, we can only figure that it's going to get worse. So, well, what are your comments on that? Well, thanks for the question, Steve. Yes, AI is is a factor now we all have to um, calibrate on. Let's start with AI in the battlefield. Now we have systems that uh, allow, uh, let's say, a drone, an ISR platform, being a, you know up in, flying around, and the the, the AI programs can <clears throat> take an image of uh, of a um, a weapon system and be able to actually determine what type of uh, weapon system it is. And based on that, uh, whether it, it, uh, it should be uh, attacked or not, uh, be able to identify a T-72 tank from another tank or uh, an artillery unit 
uh, from a mortar unit. Um, <clears throat> so these things can be automated and communicated back to the command and control center. And uh, with that image of the of the um, uh, uh, of the piece of equipment, they can also calculate the and calibrate the firing position for an artillery system uh, and communicate communicate that to the particular battery in question so that the uh, all the coordinates for firing that artillery to that target is done automatically. It's an amazing system uh, that that is available now. Secondly, um, it then can also send the information to kamikaze drones or other bombing drones who can also go to target. So the question becomes now, what what other AI resources do we need? We need AI resources that can navigate in the battlefront, not based on GPS, but based on uh, navigational aids of, of uh, particular uh, uh, location markers like a, a steeple uh, or a particular building or a tree line and allow it to navigate uh, to the target by mapping the battlefield uh, without the use of GPS. So there's many types of AI applications now that can be applied to the battlefield very effectively. And these are things that um, the, uh, that are being tested and evaluated, and we're we're learning from that on the battlefield uh, in Ukraine today. We also have <coughs> um, the link. We also have the linkage of AI with the cyber threat, and AI can be um, when you think of of uh, for example deep fakes. Uh, can a deep fake um, uh, be be used to uh, activate a biometric of a person's voice to allow him access to um, to some protected uh, uh, facility or uh, remote access to a particular site. Deep fakes are a great concern. We've we've seen. Um, examples of that in Ukraine, where deepfake was used uh, on, uh, to say that looks like Zelensky, it sounds like Zelensky, and he's giving a message which is very un-Zelensky, uh, or um, the mayor of Kiev also. So deepfakes are, are, are a problem. And deepfakes are also a problem. Uh, uh, because they can be used by criminal organizations within our own country and internationally. Um, you know that there's many scams out there um, in which uh, someone sends sends an email out saying, hi, hi, dad, or hi, grandpa, I'm, um, uh, I'm in such and such a place or such and such a country, and I've been robbed. And uh, I need some money in order to get home. Would you please send this? Um, and now with these deep fakes, um, uh, they can attach a file that that looks and sounds like that that uh, individual. This is a particularly acute issue that can face the elderly community who are trust more trustworthy, uh, trustworthy uh, and less skeptical than many 
And of course, tugging on the heartstrings of uh, a grandfather or a grandmother can lead to uh, them uh, giving up uh, not only money, but access to their account that um, that can take them down to zero. So we deep fakes uh, are uh, an AI threat that we must address in a more systematic way, both from uh, a law enforcement perspective, a security perspective and a national security uh, perspective. And we're seeing various uh, uh, variations of this and techniques being used by uh, criminal groups to defraud people. You know, Paul, we're, we're, we're looking at uh, the events uh, in Israel and uh, this renewed emergence of political energy that terrorist groups like Hamas, uh, you know, how is that going to affect our domestic security and, and some of the global risk of companies around, uh, around the world? Because what we're seeing, uh, I mean, I'm not talking from that specific regional incursion there, but we're seeing this festering growth of Jewish hate, you know, which goes far beyond any type of anti-Semitism we're seeing. This is all over uh, the EU. It's uh, it's it's festering here in the U.S. Uh, and it's being exacerbated right now by uh, the, by Hamas and uh, the Houthis and uh, Hezbollah getting uh, grievance platforms uh, around the world, spreading disinformation. Uh, and we're seeing this disinformation play out on college campuses and uh, houses of worship. And we're, we're sort of seeing this kind of new uh, uh, Arab Spring that was back uh, 20, 25 years ago that was really uh, going after democratic freedoms and trying to uh, to build democratic freedoms in, in, in the Arab states. But we're seeing that now turn back on the EU and, and uh, in, in a big way, and there's a real danger. What, how do you assess that whole thing about what's happening with these this this new uh, uh, emergence of uh, politi politicized terrorism? Well, let's start. You know, you, you've seen <clears throat> what I've written on on LinkedIn. My concern is that when you have and there's lessons here for the United States. Let's let's talk about that. Uh, the intelligence failure um, by the Israeli government is much more than a, just an intelligence failure. It is a political failure. And when you have uh, a, a, a head of government who is in a position where he has assembled the, the most extreme elements in order to maintain his position as head of government, to avoid criminal prosecution for corruption and maybe something else, then you that leads to that has led to a huge divide within a very small state on the precipice, Israel. And and we must also look to our domestic situation. What what happened on on January sixth and and in the run up to um, uh, all of uh, all that's going on now with the election. We cannot, uh, a government divided can, uh, uh, will fall. And the issue of, uh, in, we, we saw in, in, um, in Israel where many reserve officers in the Israeli military resigned because of the controversy over the courts. Uh, 
So <clears throat> what happened with Hamas was much more than just a, uh, a failure of intelligence. It was the whole system of the Israeli national security was uh, was thrown up for grabs that they took advantage of. Now, there are other elements that I'm very concerned about, and I will draw your attention to Russia because I'm going to give a, a couple history lessons here that the Russians have used um, uh, certain um, disinformation and active measure campaigns to create tensions in Germany, the United States, and other places during the Cold War. They they orchestrated a desecration of the Jewish cemetery in Germany and used that in their propaganda campaigns to see, to, to, to say that the West German government <clears throat> is is are Nazis in disguise and try to create fissures within society and tensions among the Jewish population. Oleg Kalugin, my, my business partner, has admitted that he used uh, uh, um, Americans to paint swastikas on temples uh, in order to stir up uh, anxieties and tensions within the society and desecrate uh, Jewish cemeteries. So this has been a long-standing technique. The French government has accused Russia of doing the same thing, painting swastikas on on um, businesses, Jewish businesses and homes in Paris and other places. So uh, <clears throat> this is an old technique and this is being amplified uh, obviously, there is latent uh, anti-Semitism in the world, and this is being used to activate that and bring it into the fore. Uh, we have to look at um, foreign uh, machinations um, uh, on this to amplify the hatred. And now we have things going on on, on college campuses that are frightening because <clears throat> you have you saw the testimony of of um of the three presidents of the ivy league they gave very legalistic answers but they failed uh, to give a uh, uh, uh they failed the morality test they they missed the moral question which was being posed and the lack of clear moral um uh the clear moral uh um response was vacant. Let's face it, genocide against any people, Jews, uh, Catholics, uh, black people, uh, whoever is wrong. You can't allow uh, people to advocate um, uh, genocide for any people in, in a campus and say, well, that's justified by free speech. Right. I mean, that's and there, like, and there's no, there's no moral equivalencies. You, you can't, you can't, yeah. it's, it's either, you know, it's, this, this is about as black and white as it gets. Yeah, I mean, it's like yelling fire in a crowded theater. I mean, you can't do it. You, there's a limit on uh, free speech. And not understanding that and seeing the danger where kids are afraid to go to uh, to to um, go to class or whatever because they're going to be attacked. Look at Hamas. Uh, what they did was clear. They... Um, uh, did what they did to incite. Um, <clears throat> what they did was to incite the population um, 
the Israeli population by committing the most heinous of all actions and crimes. They, they knew that this would lead to an overreaction, which they could take advantage of for information warfare purposes. And that overreaction on indiscriminate bombing now is being used by a, a multiple entities in the world, including Russia, to um, activate um, uh, anti-Israeli activities and stroking up the hatred that we're seeing. And it's boiling into our college campuses with left-wing ideologists. And <clears throat> let's face it, Hamas planned this exquisitely. We now know that the Israelis had plenty of intelligence, including the battle plan itself. It was ignored by this government in Israel. And um, I mean, the idea that we can't deal with this question now until after the war, well, when's the war going to end? I think someone who's trying to stay in power forever to avoid um, a prison will want to keep the war going as long as possible to avoid uh, the day of reckoning. Uh, so uh, we must uh, we must speak out with 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 clarity that that uh, and make sure that we understand that people understand that it may be the case that there has been some overreaction by the Israelis in seeking vengeance for what occurred, babies being decapitated, burned, uh, people being women being raped. Even we see in the UN they failed to address the pro the problem that was clear um that um that w raping of women is being used as a tool of uh, war and as part of um uh, a crime against uh, humanity the you know the iranians did the same thing to the iranian opposition where they took uh their their uh um, revolutionary God would rape protesters who were women in order to make sh shame them so they would not protest against the government. And in many cases in the world, we've seen this. So um, this is leading again and contributing to the chaos in the world, confusion about the clarity. Look at <clears throat> Hamas not only kidnapped over 200 people, but refused to allow the Red Cross from visiting them. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this I mean, is yeah, every every everything that it's a it's it's occurred, and like you said, the danger is escalating uh, uh, and and kind of spinning out of control because uh, not only be, uh, not only we're dealing with uh, uh, the brutality of war, but uh, as you stated, we're dealing with. Uh, an administration there that uh, has got some real issues and it's not uh, not fully supported by not only the military, but the people. So that, that's 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 a tough road to hoe. Yeah, uh, Paul, I, I tell you, I want to thank you for taking time. Uh, this has been just a very compelling, enlightening uh, conversation. I know it's a little longer than our usual podcast, but uh, uh, I you know, we had a lot of things to discuss and uh, I, I think uh, I think the audience is going to be uh, uh, going to be happy that they st they stuck with us. Uh, again, uh, my thanks to Paul Joyle. Uh, 
my thanks again to uh, to John Doberstein for uh, producing this. And uh, John, we'll throw it back to you. Paul and Steve, this has been an incredibly enlightening conversation about the current state of affairs in the Ukraine-Russian war, AI on the battlefield, and the effect terrorism and hate groups are having on global risk and domestic security. Just a reminder to our audience, this podcast is for you, so you can stay informed about trends in the security industry anywhere, anytime. To access our podcast lineup, go to podbean.com and search for Security DNA. You can also find our podcasts in our Security Frontline, Integrator Newswire, and Security Week e-newsletters. Of course, we'd love to get some feedback from you, our listeners, about topics you're, you're interested in. If you have a suggestion, send an email to Steve Lasky, S-L-A-S-K-Y, at securityinfowatch.com. This episode of the Security DNA Podcast was recorded and produced by John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch. For Steve Lasky, Paul Joyle, and everyone here at Security InfoWatch, thanks for listening and stay safe out there wherever you may be.
Paul and Steve, this has really been an incredibly enlightening conversation about the current state of affairs in the Ukraine-Russian war and AI in the battlefield and the effect terrorism and hate groups are having on global risk and domestic security. Just a reminder to our audience, this podcast is for you so you can stay informed about trends in the security industry anywhere, anytime. To access our podcast lineup, go to podbean.com and search for Security DNA. You can also find our podcast in our Security Frontline Integrator Newswire and Security Week e-newsletters. Of course, we'd love to get some feedback from you, our listeners, about topics you're interested in hearing about. If you have a suggestion, send an email to Steve Lasky, slasky at securityinfowatch.com. This episode of Security DNA Podcast was recorded and produced by John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch. For Steve Lasky, Paul Joyle, and everyone here at Security InfoWatch, thanks for listening and stay safe out there wherever you may be.